Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the 18th episode of By the Drip. This podcast is about coffee, entrepreneurship, and the amazing people we meet through the story of coffee. I'm your host, David Crosby, founder and CEO of Rosso Coffee Roasters. Today's guest is none other than Boram Um, the newly crowned world barista champion. In case you didn't know, I had the honor of being one of Boram's coaches at the World Championship. Yes, I know what you're thinking. There's coaches in coffee competitions? Anyways, Cole joins me to interview Boram on the lead up to winning the championship, what training for competition looks like, and his really interesting answer on winning and becoming the world champion and what it feels like. And a quick side note, just in case you didn't know what the World Barista Championships are, it's a competition focused on promoting excellence in coffee, advancing the barista profession, and engaging with a worldwide audience with an annual championship. Each year, more than 50 champions compete and each prepare four espressos, four milk drinks, and four original signature drinks in a 15-minute performance set to music. Certified judges from around the world evaluate each performance on the taste of the beverages served, cleanliness, creativity, technical skills, and overall presentation. The top 15 highest scoring competitors from the first round, plus a wildcard winner, advance to the second round, the semifinals. All the baristas then present again, and the top six competitors in the semifinal round advance to the final round. The top six then present one more time, in which one winner is named the World Barista Champion. Hope this gives everyone some insights into becoming a World Barista Champion, or just excelling in whatever you're interested in life. Please enjoy our interview, with the newly crowned world barista champion, Boram Um. Boram Um, world barista champion. How does that sound, buddy? I think it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All the crazy adventure that we've been through for the last three years. So if you reflect back on, you know, it happened over a month ago, what does the title mean to you? How did we get there? How did you get there? What are your thoughts? I guess we're just going to go right into it. It feels, it feels pretty good. Uh, it feels pretty overwhelming as well. We've been, what, like a month out of World Barista Championship right now and when we're recording this. And I feel like I've been working already for six months after <laughs> the Worlds. Uh, there's a crazy schedule of events there's so much interest from people all over the world as well as in the national level about events and marketing things uh, seminars so it is interesting to go through this experience of trying to organize my life for the next year while holding the title and no i, I guess no one really prepares you for that right we all think about so hard about winning and accomplishing this amazing feat. And then I guess we just imagine that we're just going to pack our bags and go home, <laughs> but not really. Right. There's, there's so much more stuff to it. And, and it's incredible to get to know this world as well. What does the world barista championship title mean? What do you think that means to, you know, the barista in the local coffee shop? And what does that mean to a consumer? I think it, it, it means 
a lot of things, but if we summarize it, we it's basically the professional who the industry looks up to and expects a lot of responsibility in terms of how we propagate and talk about specialty coffee, not only in our local communities, like our local market here in Brazil, in my case, but also in the global scale as well. It definitely, like, I think on the moment that we won this title together, I think I had at least 20 people come in to me and tell me, oh, this is going to change your life. And obviously I, I thought, yeah, of of course it will. Like I'm going to be busy. There's going to be a lot of people wanting to talk to me, but it really is to another level where you feel uh, the responsibility of representing the entire industry, not only representing yourself anymore or your company, your family or your country, but really there's a weight and a responsibility of really representing everyone in our industry. I can feel that through all the messages and all the people who are reaching out to me and all the opportunities that are coming out to us. I think it definitely is a different future from what I imagined originally. And I think it's really good. I think it's it's amazing. And I think we can do a lot of good and a lot of interesting change, not only on the global scale, but for me, it's quite important to bring this kind of change into Brazil as well. And how Brazil looks at specialty coffee industry and barista as professionals. And I think it will be a lot of positive change and a lot of evolution for our consumption here. You go ahead, Cole. I was going to say, let's start by talking about Brazil. Let's talk about what's happening in Brazil and what sort of potential you see as a repercussion of your title being the first Brazilian champion of, of barista in the 23 years that it's been around, you know, what do you, what do you think that's really going to do to the local impact of, of consumption production? Is the competition scene going to kind of blow up in a way that, that people all of a sudden believe that they can, or, or what do you feel is going to happen in Brazil? I guess there's no real way of knowing what's going to truly happen, but I think some of the things that I do hope for, it's some of these that you just said. I think Brazil has been participating from like since what the third edition of Worlds and participated in almost every single one ever since World Race Championship started. The general feeling here in Brazil, it was that even before we began competing, we had some baristas that achieved good results, like Silvia achieved sixth place in 2012, I think. But since then, Brazil has been not a focus point or the ideal country to win Brisa championships. And it, and it definitely seemed like it was a hard thing to achieve. So I think it's good that we, uh, as a company, as a small family business, we invested our time and resources into this competition and we were able to achieve it this year. I think it, it brings a lot of hope. I, we got a lot of messages from professionals here saying, like, this is amazing. It feels good to be to be sort of acknowledged as a country that has good professionals, good coffee, into the world. And, and I do hope that this will push more and more breezes to chase the stream of competing at world level and achieving good results in, in world competitions as well. I think it also opens up the minds of other professionals all over the world to be looking at Brazilian professionals in a different way, which is very good. But in general, it's really amazing to see how we were able to bring the interest of the general public into our market. Because up until now, especially coffee was sort of like an elite 
high-end product, sometimes perceived as overpriced or unattainable because of the price point. But being in the market that we are today and with the crazy price fluctuations of even commercial coffees in general, most specialty coffee shops in Brazil are priced pretty much the same level as coffees, commercial coffees being sold at supermarkets today in Brazil. So I think being able to bring that interest of the general public into our industry will bring a lot of good results, not only for roasters here, for producers and everyone else. I get the feeling that it sort of changed the perception and, and change uh, brought this interest to the general public. And hopefully this will turn out into being something really positive for everyone here. Now that you've won, has there been a moment or a person or someone reaching out that you can think back to and is, you know, an honor or something they said in the last month that's like really touched you or uh, moved you? There's a bunch of uh, producers that came to speak to me, especially because we being able to achieve this title with a Brazilian coffee was something that pretty much everyone thought it would be impossible, especially because of the general perception about high-end Brazilian coffees. There's a few farms that have been into WBC as Brazilian producers, but I don't think anyone was able to achieve what we did. And it truly changes the perception about Brazilian coffee production. I was recently at the farm. We had a producer who came in to the farm because he was coincidentally driving the, the photo photographer who was going to take pictures with us. He commented to us like saying, it's amazing to get the respect that we're getting now about our products and what we do. We don't, like he, he was telling me wow. like, I don't see any other way how we could have achieved this without your work and, and what we have achieved at world level. This is a guy who's been investing so many years into fermentation and, and high quality beans, but always being pushed around in terms of pricing and sort of the stigma that Brazilian coffee has. So it, it sort of brought this spark into some of these producers and saying, oh, this, this is so good for us because it's going to bring so much more opportunity for all of us. When you say stigma about Brazilian coffee, what does that actually mean? Because I would say lots of people yeah. love, love Brazilian coffee, but on a specialty level, what does that mean? I think Brazil has always focused so much in, in quantity and, and production and cup cleanliness and not really competition level coffees or high-end coffees that go into auctions and truly bring value into some small producers that Brazil has this image of being coffees that will go into blends or will come into like a mid-level specialty 84, 86 scoring cups. And I think it's been often overlooked in terms of its potential and what we can do in terms of competition level and the variety and diversity of coffees that Brazil has to offer, right? It's not only the classical chocolate, caramel, nutty flavors, but really bringing a new image and, and bringing a new type of profile that Brazil can offer and the diversity of those profiles. So I think that is a, a really interesting change that we can look into now. Uh, Boran, when, when you're talking about Brazilian coffee and the potential, I remember a conversation we had I think toward our, our, the end of our time in Greece. And Jesse asked you a question about terroir in the context of Panama and how Panama has kind of struck gold in, in the sense of geisha in the highlands there. And 
in Chiriqui and and sort of the expressions that they can get out of their coffees. And she asked you if you believe you can find something similar in Brazil and and hit coffees to a similar quality tier, to similar complexities, similar expressions. And I'm wondering if you can maybe re-answer that question for the people listening, because I think it was a fascinating response that you you had. So in general, I think Brazil has a few varietals that work really well. And we know that it has adapted so well into Brazil since they've been producing these some of these varietals for so many years. Like, for example, I can say that I know that, like, for example, the pink bourbon that we use or the yellow bourbon even is, is probably one of the best coffees that we can produce in our own terroir in our own, own farm. Uh, but I think there's obviously a few challenges into Brazil that make it hard for us to be like, oh, Panama Geisha. I think a Brazil, we can definitely think about and the fact that everyone knows yellow bourbon from Brazil, for example. But I don't think we, we as producers have invested enough yet or researched enough into how to elevate that to the full potential. I think we still rely on some techniques that hasn't really proven its full potential yet. And then there's also the fact that Brazil is very large and very diverse. Our yellow bourbon works really well in, in many different farms, but definitely some regions, it won't work because terroir is way too different. Climate's way too different and processing techniques will be way too different as well. But I do think there's the full potential of bringing that back into the world as well as being the high quality Brazilian coffee. It's just that how do you excite people about yellow bourbon, right? that is a big challenge. I still think that there is a lot more potential finding multiple varietals that can be amazing for our country here. Zooming in specifically to your production at Fazenda Um, you've got the two two different sites. How many different varietals are you guys playing with to sort of test and, and experiment on your terroir? I think last time I counted, we're about 46 different varietals testing on both farms. We've been succeeding a lot with some of the new exotic uh, varietals that we've been bringing from partner producers in different countries, like the Pink Bourbon, the Wush Wush, playing with a little bit of Geisha as well. But I think from all these years that we've been producing coffee still, our yellow Bourbons have been hitting all of these varietals out of the park. Like yesterday, we had our first cupping table for this year's varietals and the first few samples that are coming out of our Minas farm. And, and, and it's incredible how yellow Bourbon always stands out so amazingly, which is a proof of how consistent and how well adapted this varietal in, is in, in our farm. And it's bringing so much interest all over the world. And I think we were able to elevate it through processing and, and different techniques that we've been applying every year. And we have applied this year for our pink bourbons as well. So I think it's a climb up that it's exciting in terms of quality for the future here. And then you used used pink bourbon in the competition. Do you maybe want to speak to that for a hot second about the, the pink bourbon that you used and how that lot was processed and why that coffee specifically? Yeah, of course. So we've been playing with these different varietals, like I said, and we understand that genetics is, is probably a, a big step towards quality. And obviously knowing pink bourbon always performs so well in Colombia and, and different countries. We decided to test it out three, four years ago. And we had our first initial results in, in the start of 2022, 
with Pink Bourbon and we really enjoyed what we had. The few bags that we produced sold out very quickly and we knew there was a lot of potential. Knowing these coffees have, when they're processed naturally, very simple Brazilian natural process, and knowing that these coffees have so much potential being processed in a simple manner, I knew that we could bring a little bit more out of these coffees for the competition level. So obviously talking a little bit about the competition planning as well, like we, it's always the dream of bringing coffee that we produce into the world stage. I've never competed with a coffee from my farm in, in the world stage, only at the national level. And we had this amazing experience visiting Panama with you guys, with Cole and, and the Ford team and understanding how people process their coffees and learning new skills that truly elevate coffee, uh, the genetic varietal quality. I knew that we had to test all these things into our coffees as well. And everything sounded very, in general, very logical in terms of trying and testing for these varietals. So that's why for the pink bourbon and for the yellow bourbon, uh, before our national even, uh, we were already testing dark room drying techniques. And the first amazing result we had was with our yellow bourbon right before our national competition. And in the national competition level, I was already using also Kai Jensen's geisha, but it, this time was a honey geisha. Uh, the coffee was incredible. And although that coffee specifically didn't have the same darkroom techniques, uh, we knew we were onto something that could truly improve coffee, our, our coffee quality. So when we first tasted that yellow bourbon that we did, our darkroom drying, it was, a, it was a pulp natural, which is sort of similar to Jensen's honey process, but dried in a dark room with consistent temperature and, and consistent humidity. And we were completely shocked with the result that it, it gave out. We had most of our team saying that it was, it was so similar to what you taste in, in, in African origins, like Ethiopia or Kenya even, with so much floral, floral notes, uh, citric notes, and such a clean taste that was just nothing like we ever tasted in our farms. So we knew that this could be a potential technique that really brings out sort of the original taste of that varietal because yellow bourbon obviously has origins that date back to Ethiopia, right? To uh, typical varietals. So once we got that amazing result with the yellow bourbon, we used that in our competition for nationals. And we, we had really, obviously we, we won the national competition. We brought an amazing result to that coffee and to our competition levels. And we knew that this would be the key for us to use into world championship as well. So the pink bourbon went through the same processing. There was obviously a big uh, concern about timing because the pink bourbon was harvested much later. Uh, we're like at the start of harvest process in Brazil and, and the coffee was extremely fresh, but I'm so glad that Everything worked out fine and the coffee presented itself really well. And we were able to achieve this good title for all of us. Painting like raw new people who had never worked with coffee into the barista level. And we had a barista who was very eager to learn and, and she was very uh, interested in, into the market. And when we presented to her with the options like, hey, like, do you want to try this competition thing? It, it happens every year in Brazil. And if you win the Brazilian level, you get to go to the worlds and really meet all these amazing people in the industry. Like we, I already traveled most of these events because I was 
working with the export side of, of our coffees. But I think it would be a really nice opportunity for you to learn and see how the specialty world works outside of Brazil. And but back then, Brazil was very uh, initial levels of specialty coffee as well. So we had our barista start competing. And I remember, I think that year she competed first for nationals in brewers. And like we knew absolutely nothing about competition. <laughs> Although Brewers, Brewers Cup, it's, it's a lot simpler and there's different levels of complexity into it. Like we never even thought about putting our baristas firsthand into barista competition. So we pushed them into Brewers first and we're like, OK, yeah, we know we have to select a really good coffee. And we selected a really nice Brazilian coffee, specifically from Espiritu Santo. This is way before we produce coffee in Espiritu Santo. But we had a really nice cup of coffee from Espiritu Santo that was very citric, uh, lime-like, uh, panela-like. And we're like, oh, this is this will be a, probably a really good coffee for you to compete with. Obviously, not knowing anything about competition. And then she, this barista, she sh- sort of like built a speech around like hospitality because she, her family was from. Her grandfather was from Japan and she also had like this Asian kind of culture into her life. So she sort of like did uh, the tea ceremony type presentation with the coffee that she served. And she got into third place, which was really amazing for someone with less than six months of barista experience (laughs) competing at the national level, which is really nice. And, And it was a really interesting experience. We were really happy with that. And obviously you be- start becoming more anxious and, and more directed toward like someday winning these competitions and things like that. So we had our baristas compete since 2017 and they want they went on to compete like our competition baristas grew. Like obviously <clears throat> in the market, people started seeing our company as a coffee company that invests in their professionals to compete. So we had a lot of people come into our team and and people were excited about competition. And we were obviously investing in them and getting all that amazing knowledge, but also trying to achieve good results because it was good for business and it was good for our general knowledge. I think the biggest we came into, it was around 2018. We had, I think, four baristas compete at the same time, two at barista level and two at brewers. And it started to become frustrating because we were only achieving third spot every time. So for brewers, we achieved third spot. And for barista competitions, our baristas would DQ every year. But DQing for like the most stupid reasons you can even... Obviously, one of them was like overtime and the other one would be like some very random thing that obviously like the baristas didn't really read into rules and regulation and... And the company was 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 growing very quickly. So me and my brother were also really busy with with expansion and, and other things. So in some part, it was our fault as well that we didn't, we weren't able to take a lot of our time into understanding better rules and things like that. But also we felt like a lot of the baristas were not uh, investing much of their time. They were it's really hard to motivate people. And I think you guys know that more than anyone else with all the years of experience in competitions that you guys have. So in 2019, Marcia Yoko came into our team and she is a seasoned Brazilian coach. She has coached a few of the national champions. And obviously with the drive to achieve better results, we 
we brought her in because we wanted to improve that competition level. And we understood that there was so much more into competitions that all the simple things that we were doing, right? It's not only about selecting a decent coffee. You have to select an exceptional coffee. You have to train. You have to build structure around training and truly think about this more professionally than we were thinking about it. So I think that opened my eyes into a lot of different things and made me realize maybe the quickest way for me to learn and gain experience around this thing is for me to do it myself at least once. That's what That was my thought in 2019. Like, let me do it once and understand what I'm putting my baristas through so that I can better guide them, right? The first sort of like, hands-on experience I had was going into Boston and I volunteered at the Brista Championship. And that was really amazing to to do. Like that was a really an amazing experience. I spent almost all days either like timekeeping for the national champions and, or I think I was timekeeping or, or cleaning the machines. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really interesting because I got to see how some of the competitors will come in and set up their tables and those moments right before they started their presentations, right? Like seeing them concentrate and, and, and all of their rituals involving competition. And it was very, very interesting seeing that. And I obviously at that stage, I realized how this was much more than what I was imagining. Right. And it was at that, competition that I met Sakamoto and, and Yoshi Iwase because they were helping a, they were coaching the Japanese champion at that time. So it was really interesting watching how the Asian teams, they, they build like these crazy teams. They have so many people around them. And I think that started sort of building the essence of, of what we understand how, like how to tackle competitions. And then I went back home in 2019 and we had our national competitions Uh, to be held in November of that year. So that's when I started prepping for my first national competition. And for my first national competition, I knew that I had to approach competition in a different way, knowing that I'm also, my family produces coffee and I'm also a producer. I knew I had to bring like coffee producing knowledge into our presentation. So For that year, I competed with a Mundo Novo that we fermented anaerobically for the first time. Like we weren't doing any fermentations before then. Can you imagine? We're just doing like regular naturals and pulp naturals. And obviously like watching so many competitors, I visited Colombia for the first time that year as well. And, And I did sort of a course on coffee fermentation with a few Colombian producers. So I was like, oh, this is it. Like this is what I'm going to bring into our national level. Let's do these crazy fermentations. I remember spent like two months almost at the farm doing like crazy experiments. And I was like, so many days I was like, what am I doing? I have no idea how this is going to work. I remember we, we set up at least six to seven different experiments and I was like getting the cherries just as they were picked by our farm team and just submitting them into fermentation processes and like trying to track everything. It was a really amazing experience hands-on in the farm and building like fermentation protocols for the first time, which was very interesting. And then I remember that year we had a, we did a double ferment of a Mundo Novo uh, that was basically putting the first initial cherries that we picked into a tank, sealing that for 
24 hours. And then on the after 24 hours, we pick fresh new cherries and we put on top of those and then seal that back in and do 48 more hours. A little bit of a higher temperature fermentation, like 36 degrees. But it came out really interesting, like red fruits, strawberry. I just remember all of like the profiles because... We worked so hard on that. I remember I got like a infection in my hand because uh, I had a cut from processing the coffees. It was pretty in- intense. You're such a warrior. You made it through, though. <laughs> it was it was very funny. It was very funny actually. But um, I, I knew that coffee. It was a coffee that I could use in, in the competition. So I used that Mondo Novo, and everyone's like what are you doing? You're competing with a Mundo Nova. Are you insane? And there were people competing with like Ethiopia, Geisha Village at that time in Brazilian nationals. And I remember just building a really nice presentation and practicing so hard and still making so many mistakes. And it was sort of like the first process. Before you go on, looking back at how you approach competition, like training, tasting the coffee, is it that much different from this year? I think the base and the structure is very similar. So the fortunate thing we had is with the Japanese team, they have a really good setup and structure for training. So like they know exactly how to build a training schedule and they are the ones who start already talking about like competition practice has to be like high performance athlete kind of training. You have to do it every single day until you're not making any mistakes until you have zero shred of doubt in terms of your routine. And I remember like being so impressed about how Iwasit trained his routine like 400 times before he competed at the world level in 2016 and got into second place. So I remember all those amazing uh, datas that they would provide and being like, we never thought about roasted coffee and their aging and the perfect time about using these coffees for competition. They were like, yeah, you have to build a roast schedule. If you're going to compete in nationals, you have two levels. You have to have a roast for your first day. You have to have a roast for your finals round and you have to structure that. And I think in essence, the training structure and the preparation structure in general, it's similar to what we do every year and what we did for Greece. Obviously, the level of complexity just changed considerably in terms of what we what we prepared and yeah i I remember on the first uh we were starting like first building the speech and then memorizing all the speech and trying to pair all the movements into the speech getting the drinks properly ready and then once everything is done like just push through routines as many times as as we could how many times do you think you actually did your routine before that final one the national level? No, this this year, just running it up this year. Oh, this year. We haven't really counted. I th- I'm pretty sure we would have lost count even if we tried uh, counting it. But I would say at least like, what, 400 times as well? How many times have you done it after your finals? Have you done it just a few more times to see if you still got it? No way. <laughs> uh, I can't remember my speech anymore. No way. No more, please. <laughs> You go on to win that nationals? Yeah. So it was pretty crazy because I won that nationals. And that year's first world competition was scheduled for Melbourne in April, from what I remember. And that's when the pandemic hit. 
So it was a lot of waiting for my world, first world competition. In a sense, it was good because I was sort of on an endless preparation period. I remember that period while we're, while we're still waiting on to the announcement of when the world championship was hap- happening. I was still consistently like trying to train every day, think about competition, study this, study that, look for coffees here. So it was sort of like I had sort of like almost two years of preparation before my first world appearance. Uh, although I know my, my skill level was still not very experienced. But I just remember being a little bit more calmer and a little bit more collected for my first world competition because I've been waiting for so long for it to happen. So I remember like practic- practicing here and there every day. I already had I had the full setup here in, in my office for the worlds with the machine and the grinders. So it's really nice to be able to sort of like take it slow and think about obviously like speech and ideas change consistently because of everything that we were going through as as a coffee community and as humanity, I guess. But it was nice to have that much time to process everything before the first world's appearance. And I just remember on both both of those times, the things that really stayed in my head were like, in the first nationals, it was like, okay, I practiced so much, but I don't know what's going to happen at that stage, right? Like having that, fear of making a crazy mistake and and like all that those insecurities were there so so strongly and i remember those insecurities coming in so clearly at that time and really not knowing how i would behave at stage because it's something that i've never done and at the world stage it was the same thing i was like okay this is my first world stage like what if this happens what if that happens but i've trained I've came prepared, but obviously not with enough experience and having that thrill of, okay, let, let's not just destroy this opportunity that I have. So I remember those two feelings clearly from my first appearances in nationals and worlds. So you went three for three, right? You competed in three seasons, even though it took four years because of the pandemic. Yeah. But you competed in three seasons. You won all three of your nationals. Yeah. You presented, I think, wonderfully at Worlds and in each of those. Have you ever considered or reflected back on what would have happened if you didn't win your first nationals? Do you think you would have got up and and tried it again the next year? Or have you ever sort of thought through that at all? It's a very interesting question because I sort of indirectly went through that on my first nationals. I don't know if you guys remember, but... When I competed my first nationals, there's another competitor who sort of broke some of the rules of competition. But he was announced as the winner and I was announced as second place. And I remember distinctly that preparing into the first nationals, we didn't go in with the expectation of winning. We knew that it was part of the experience. And it was sort of like a trial for me in the sense where it's either I have a good learning experience and and then afterwards I can just push one of my baristas to compete or I'm going to enjoy this and I'm going to keep doing it. And since I didn't really know what the outcome would be and then coming into second place on the announcements, uh, I knew I wanted to come back. I sort of went through the process and then a week later we we got announced as as number one and and that we would go represent Brazil at Worlds. 
So it was an interesting experience because the thought process was like, I have two options here. And obviously I, I decided to keep going. So I do remember because I was in Brazil when you competed for the first time and I saw you present your anaerobically fermented Mundo Novo and I saw you get announced this second and I saw your two routines in primary and, and final round. So I was curious what would have happened. I don't think I've ever asked you that before if you came second and, and stayed second in that moment beyond the announcement. But obviously that got turned and, and you had the opportunity to go to Worlds. But I think a uh, fascinating start to the journey, right? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit crazy. But I, I do distinctly remember that when I got announced second, I was getting help from Marcia and like the Japanese team and Anila. I remember like distinctively saying like, Hey guys, I'm going to start prepping and we're going to come back next year. So, yeah. Which I think that's the competitor's attitude. I think it's for people listening. It's not always about winning. I think the really powerful thing that you said earlier, you know, you kind of miss the journey, right? You felt hollow in a sense for a few days after the win. And it's, you know, it's really, it's really fascinating. I think as humans, we, we follow this path, we set goals, we want to achieve those goals. But then a lot of the time we don't really take the time to appreciate the actual day to day and the journey and the hard work and the, the collaboration, the teamwork, the commitment, the, you know, enrollment that you get from all these different people. And it's not always necessarily about winning. It's about the learn, the learning and the, you know, the, the drive. Yeah, definitely agree. I think we get addicted to the thrill, I guess, as well. But the journey, it's incredible. I think it's probably one of the most valuable journeys someone can have in our industry because it's not only a journey about learning about coffee and meeting amazing people but it for me i felt like it was a journey about getting to know myself as a person as well and understanding what i'm okay with what i'm good with uh what i suck at and i'm really bad at and how that creates so many amazing connections as well right and I feel like I've matured a lot through this journey, not only as a professional, but as a person as well. So I think that is definitely the most valuable thing to take away from this and not the title. I think the exciting thing too is the next journey starts now. Who knows what the, the goal or the, the finish line necessarily is for that. I think that's for, for you to determine. But, you know, one journey has come to a, to a close. One chapter in the, the book of Boram Um has come to a close. And the next chapter kind of begins. And, and now with the experience, with the new communities that you've connected with, with all the, you know, coffee people around the world that are supporting you, you get to kind of, in, in a sense, choose what, what happens next and where that finish line or that, that goal post kind of shifts to, which I think is what you're going through right now in the month since WBC, obviously, but super fascinating, super exciting to kind of dive into that maybe as a segment, unless Dave, you've, you've got some uh, other follow-up questions for Mr. Borum. Well, I want to hear about last year. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about last year. Where did you place when you went to Worlds the first time? So on the first time, I had the luck of getting into the... The wild card slot. He's hesitant to say yes. he was the wild card. You were the no, wild card. No, I'm not card. hesitant. Wow. I was trying to remember the word. 
yeah, I was lucky enough to be in the best team of that competition. I, I, I remember it's the, it's the year that Diego from Colombia won. And then I remember my team was like Diego and I think a couple other finalists or semifinalists. I got pulled into semifinals because I was the wild card. It was quite the interesting moment because when the announcements happened, I remember like the MC, he looked straight into me and I was like, okay, what's going on? And then he's like, yeah, first wild card is Brazil. And it was really neat. And it was really nice to be able to present a second time our routine. And I think there's an immense amount of value of the experience of going into a semifinals as the wild card, because you start understanding how every round is different. And obviously in the first round, it's always a lot more tense. There's so many things going on. Everyone is so stressed out. There's so many people in the backstage. And then in the semifinals, it's a little bit more pleasant. It's, it's, a, it's a better exp- experience for sure. You can relax a little bit more and, and have better time prepping uh, for the competition and concentrate even better. So I think that was really interesting and it was really a good experience. And then it was sort of like the first taste of world competitions for me. And the energy is just different at the world level. Everyone is so nice. You get to meet so many uh, incredible competitors. And and you also get to see how far you are still from going into a finals, right? At least for me, it was like, oh, wow, like I'm still so far away. And it's it's good in the sense that you get a clearer image of the objective. I think for me, it was like, okay, like I know now some of the things that I need to do. And I know that I have to do this and this and this and that. And, and I think that experience is, it's really hard to teach or coach, honestly. So if you were to pass on some advice to maybe a barista competitor that came, I don't know, 25th or 16th or you know, 12th, like what, what did you reformulate after your first year at Worlds? that helped you break through, I guess, somewhat on the second year? Yeah, I guess the mental the mental game is, is probably something that people need to really invest on. And for me, it's from that first experience, it was very clear that there are people who blame everything else and there are people who look inside and, and try to improve. And for me, that was a very sort of shocking thing to go through in, 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 this, in a positive way, like... After, after like stumbling into semifinals and then talking to some people who didn't go to semifinals. And there was, there was a clear difference in between people who are, who are looking to succeed and they had their mental game right. And then up comparing to people who are like, oh yeah, this doesn't work out. Like that person didn't help me and things like that. And, and you can see that it's, it's the base of, of success in any kind of thing, not only in competitions, I guess. So for me, it was it was really nice to see how far away I was from a lot of the top level competitors, but also to understand all the mistakes that I did, like especially in terms of our biggest topic, which is like how to build a team and how to uh, select coffees and how to train. I mean, I trained hard, but I wasn't training the right things for that year. So it was a lot of learning from mistakes and learning from that overall experience. And I think having that clear head that there's always room for improvement and, and that in the end, if something doesn't succeed, it's not anyone's fault, but your own and understanding that 
you are the only person that can change that was uh, an eye-opening experience for me. So let's fast forward. You've won nationals in 2022 and you're going to Worlds in Australia. What are some of the changes you made going to Worlds that year? And then maybe talk us through the results and then and then we can do the lead up to Worlds in Athens this year. So for 2022, um, for obviously from the previous experience that I had in the first WBC is I was first very clear idea in my head that like I should pick a topic that I'm I'm super passionate and I'm super interested in talking about. Not really thinking about anything else, but like something that I think it's super interesting. And I remember watching Cole's national presentation and him talking about decaf coffee and uh, also seeing this current trends in the market where more and more people are coming in with low caffeine varietals. I just wanted to understand that. And I thought it was fascinating how that could potentially change the way we consume coffee and, and the way it could change the market. So we we dove deep into low caffeine varietals. We analyzed Aramosas, Larinas. We talked to like institutes like Federal Institute of Espiritu Santo in Brazil and understanding what caffeine does with our sensory experience. And I thought that was really fascinating. So I really pushed art into that. And another learning lesson was maybe not do a national competition and then switch everything completely into a new thing for worlds. Like try to build maybe sort of a more concise version for nationals and then build upon that for worlds. So for nationals, we already went in with the topic of low caffeine content coffees. We used the Lorena and I think that gave me a lot of the experience I needed for worlds that, that year as well. So like understanding better the coffee that I'm using. Lurina is such a challenging varietal to work with, to roast, to extract. So I think we are, I was able to already apply some of the interesting learning lessons that I had from my first WBC appearance. And we went with that same sort of speech structure and idea structure into worlds. Obviously, we began uh, working more closely together with, with you and Cole because... I saw an interesting fit that we had in the first year at, in Milan. I know we, we met before in, in, in 2019 and in 2018 at our shops, but in the competition level, we worked really closely starting on the Milan championship where you're helping calibrate. Obviously, I was uh, using coffee that Ford sourced in all these years as well. So it was really, I felt that like we had a really good interaction in the first Milan year. That's why... When I sat down and talked to the team in Brazil, we were like, hey, let's try to restructure the team as well and build upon the good experiences that we had in Milan. So that's why we reached out to you guys and we're like, hey, we, we're really invested into this competition thing. Will you help us? And happily, you guys said yes and helped us out for our first year in, in Melbourne. And it was really good because I went through the right process of like winning nationals and having a good amount of time to go into worlds. I remember, I think it was what, maybe four months before I went to world or something, five months. So I had time to prepare. I had time to source coffee. We had time to build training sessions together. I, it was the first time I've decided to get out of the city and uh, of, of Brazil and, and train in a different location. So it was the first time I went all the way out into Calgary with you guys and, and to train for, for a month. 
it was really an amazing experience because being fully invested into something like competition for a month definitely makes, I, I think it will definitely make any competitor evolve immensely very quickly. And I remember just building out the speech and, and, and the training session with you guys. I do remember the quite challenging part was that because I did not have enough experience, my idea of training would be like, let's build out this speech 100% and then just like punch through that training multiple times. So with you guys, it was different. It was the first time where we build the, the sort of the structure, but we keep adding into things and like polishing everything until we make it like truly perfect. The challenge of doing that for me is what, in my opinion, made me evolve so much quicker and being okay with I think we, I remember like on that semifinals, we were making changes into the speech the night before we went into the semifinals. And it was a really nice experience learning that from myself too, that like, oh, I can do this. Like, I didn't know I could, but I, I, I can, I can make these changes and I can improve and continuously improve what we do. And I think coffees, it's all about that. So it was really nice. And then we did not make into finals that year. Uh, we came into seventh place. We we're very close. It was sort of disappointing, but it was also a build upon the first WBC sort of learning lessons. Like we understand that we had issues with this bridle that we we're using. We had some comments that were not so helpful in terms of like, in the end, I knew that, hey, maybe like, hey, I, I, I definitely didn't deserve to be in that final because of this and this and this. And I remember in the first week after that WBC, I, I had a clear idea of the things that I needed to improve on. And it was like, I know I had to improve on my latte art. I, need, I know I have to uh, improve my presentation skills. I know I have to like give more time for judges to evaluate their drinks. Like I knew every single point that I needed to improve, even though we didn't hear those points in a feedback session. And that year was really the year that I really thought to myself if I should go back or not immediately after, especially because... It was already three years of training and prepping for competitions, allocating a lot of resources into this, time into this. And I, I just felt really tired. I was really tired. And then I was inspired by Cole because Cole and you, Dave, have been in this for over a decade. I was like, I can't be tired. <laughs> I can't yeah, be tired. These guys, up, buddy. <laughs> these guys have been here for a decade. And obviously it, it is because it was for the first time that I felt like I knew the things, if I improved these things, I could get into a final. And that was the objective. And I was like, you know what? We're so close. Let's just give it one more shot, right? And then here we are. I remember, you know, right after we did the debrief with the judges and we were all kind of gutted. And you kind of go through this range of emotions where you found out you're seventh and the top six are the finalist. And, you know, we knew we were so close and you're kind of pissed off, but also proud, but also unsure about the competition. And we had a little chat and I'm, I remember saying like, this is the moment where we have to like double down and we have to go again. Like this proves that we are so close, regardless of, you know, what happened. It's like, this is the moment where we got to use this anytime for next year when we're tired and want to quit and stop. It's like, we got to think of this moment to keep going, to keep pushing. 
I could see in your eyes, like you, part of you was like, it's so long and it's been brutal. But then right afterwards you were revved up and like not ready to go right away, but you knew you were back in and just able to use that as not a negative thing, bring you like a thing to bring you down, but as a actual positive to like drive you forward. I think it's one of those things too. Like we reflect back on it. If you had made finals in 2022, you probably wouldn't be here in the role you're in now with the world champion title. You would have done whatever you did in finals, ranked out wherever you did. Maybe you would have won in that moment. But you know, in, if you had made finals, I'm, I'm quite sure through our conversations then that you would have been content and you, yeah. you know, would have probably retired after that moment. So I think again, in a way sounds cheesy, but everything kind of happens for a reason. And, and we're here today because, because of what happened then. And it was challenging at that time to hear that feedback and, and to hear some of that, that debrief. But I think to all the competitors listening, like take, take from, from those debriefs, everything you can grow from that as a person and as a professional and uh, use it as motivation to either run it back or to improve your day-to-day experience, wherever you might be in your community and use this platform as a platform for growth. That is true. Although we were frustrated, I think deep down, I remember clearly deep down, I knew that I didn't deserve to be in the, those finals. I know I wasn't personally happy with how everything was executed as well. There was definitely doubt in my head about how the coffees were tasting and things like that. So it's it's definitely mind-bending in, in a lot of senses and how your mental game works for these competitions. But deep down, I knew that, you know, like maybe we definitely didn't deserve to be in, at the finals. And I think, yeah, that definitely brings me, brought me the drive to come back. And I completely agree. Like if I went to finals and I placed sixth that year, I potentially would have not come back. No, we would have run it back. We were running it back unless you won, buddy. (laughs) We're going to the bitter end here. (laughs) Okay. Good thing we didn't. (laughs) Went to the good end. Yes. Okay, so let's talk this year. Yeah. I think it's kind of interesting to time time stamp things before you go into it. So just for reference, June 2022 is when your nationals was for, for that year. September 2022 was Worlds. You then had nationals 2023 in early March. And then yeah. you're in a second Worlds in June. So really, we're one calendar year, two nationals and two world championships. Oh, yeah. I guess I, I didn't realize that. It's actually 12 months and then two nationals and two worlds, huh? And in those 12 months, the three of us plus many other people spent a lot of time together. I think the three of us probably have... We probably have four months together. No, man, more More. than that. Probably 200, close to 200 days together. Yeah, I I would say two thirds for sure. (laughs) Oh, wow. How do you guys even... uh take up with me surprised we're still talking (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm not (laughs) thank goodness he won otherwise we might not be (laughs) (laughs) i think it's actually a good testament of how we get along and and how sort of everything worked out in our favor in that sense i remember going into this nationals and just not I don't know if I told, I don't even know if I told you guys this, but like, I just remember going into these, these nationals this year in March 
and just not feeling it, not feeling passionate about anything and not really excited about what I was doing. And I remember I just, I just didn't know what I was going to talk about in my nationals. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I made through nationals and I'm like, what am I going to do for worlds? I have no idea. I haven't researched anything interesting. I've been like playing with these new techniques of drying that we learned from Panama. And I remember like going into Panama after nationals with Cole and some other people and just not finding the right inspiration yet for, for doing anything. So it's definitely interesting how the timeline played out because you had very little time for this world's preparation. And I remember having like after winning the nationals and having the feedback from some judges telling me like judges who judged me in the previous year and telling me like, I don't know what happened to you this year, but like you just didn't seem like you're feeling it. And we didn't feel the enjoyment. Obviously, like your technique was really good. Your coffee was amazing. And that's probably what made you win. But we didn't really feel like you were excited to be there. And I really sort of took that into heart as well. And I realized, like, I was starting to think like, oh, no, like, was this a mistake coming back? And, and thinking about the little time that we had to prepare, like, I never had two months only to prepare for Worlds. So I was definitely overwhelmed in that sense. I was like, what am I going to do? And then I remember talking to you guys. We're like, okay, let's do the same thing. We had really good results of practicing for a month in Calgary. Let's book those tickets and get that going. And then I was like, oh my God, I need to go to Calgary. I don't have a speech yet. So I'm going to write something up here and send to these guys <laughs> for them to approve. <laughs> and then just, just figure it out from there. <laughs> I remember um, clearly having the thought of right before getting into Calgary, where I was sitting with Marcia and discussing, and I was telling her like, Hey, I'm not happy about this speech. I'm not happy about what we want to talk about worlds. And then I just remember thinking like, Hey, I, I think, I think since this one will be my last one for sure in my head, like I knew that not depending on the outcome, like whatever happens with the outcome with this year, like I was probably going to stop. I was like, why, why don't I just talk about the whole experience that I ha I've been having for these three years and, the whole experience has been around the journey and about the people around us and the team that we've built to do this. So like I told Marcia straight up, I was like, I'm going to talk about teamwork. And then <laughs> she did the, uh, like the weirdest face to me. She was like, what? Like, really? You're going into your third WBC with, with like nothing. And, uh, <laughs> and then I remember, um, we went through a lot of discussions and, and I think it was a lot more emotional than technical, like the, unlike the previous years. And this was definitely a, a more emotional presentation for me. I was really happy about doing this and I was really enjoying every single bit of this process this year. So I think that was a huge difference compared to the last ones. You know, you know, it's so interesting. Yeah. You had more time this year, not by much, but you had more time this year. What to prepare? Yeah, for sure. It was uh, late June. To late it's all in my head, huh? Remember, it's all in your head, man. And and the reason the reason I know that is when you won twenty twenty two, I Dave Dave and I were in Milan, and we had just come off the World Coffee and Good Spirits, 
we were maybe two or three days done done with that, helping the Canadian champion Nelson Fu in the finals. And we, I was at a, an amazing dinner in Monza, and I was with Kai Jansen and Danilo Lodi and a handful of people that that played a role in in this team. So I remember kind of a, a clear timestamp. And then when you won in 2023, I was at a an event celebrating a good friend of mine leading up to his wedding. And so I just, I have very clear moments of dates. So I know you had more time this year for him. It just felt like less because you probably didn't have your heart in the game, you know, right from the get-go. But yeah, I, I remember you coming here and, and you just mentioned you had some doubts on where we were at with presentation, where we were at with the coffees, where we were at with a multitude of things. And, and I think... I think realistically, we all carried those doubts all the way through into Athens, right? Into maybe that first dial session we had at Eurogot, where we pulled 25 of the most acidic espressos that any of us have ever tasted. And we <laughs> thought to ourselves, what are we doing? You know, how are we, how are we doing this? And just kept our heads high, I think, and kept kind of communication open, kept chatting about what to do, how to strategize for the next thing and where to make improvements. Yeah, like I said, this year was full of roller coasters. Yeah, I, I do remember having a lot of these doubts, but for some reason, I just felt like all of the experience that we accumulated together really helped. And this is the essence of what we talk about our spe- in our speech as well, which is the teamwork, right? I, we had all these doubts about some of these uncontrollable variables, but we had full trust about everything else and everything our team was doing. And that is that was truly essential for us in obtaining this result. And I, I think that is the biggest differential that we had. Once we got things going, I, I think obviously first round was very difficult for everyone and difficult for us because we're early on and there's so many moving parts. But after we got things going and it was incredible, right? Like every single day, like I was able to enjoy those semifinals. I was really able to enjoy those finals. So in some sense, everything worked out because we sort of gained the experience to do that for this year. I think what's also interesting overarching all of this that we haven't mentioned is my brother was the Canadian Brewers Cup champion and Borum's brother was the Brazilian Brewers Cup champion. So we had Another competition that was going on and Cole competing and we'll talk, we'll create a full podcast about that and you guys can listen to that. But, you know, the emotion of Brewers Cup, you know, the semifinals get announced and, you know, shit, Cole doesn't make it, Garam makes it. And then we got to walk across the street into Barista and hear the announcement if Boram's going to go through. And then finals gets announced. We walk over, Garam gets into the finals. And yeah. I have some theories. I don't. I don't know what. You, maybe you want to talk about your emotional state while that was going on. I was. I, I was. Uh, that is actually a big component, I guess. But I was actually sort of feeling worried for all of it as well because Cole was competing, my brother was competing, and obviously being part of the same team, we want everyone else to succeed as well. So I, I guess we juggled all of that really well. Like we were able to focus on each other's trainings as well. Cole is very seasoned and and very experienced. So he has a very good idea of the things he likes to do and he wants to do. So 
I wasn't really worried about that, but I was definitely worried about my brother because it's his second time in the world Brewers champion. But I just remember in the finals announcements, I just felt this huge sense of relief when my brother got announced for finals. And I think that would have played a lot as well if, for example, like I would have felt a lot more pressured, right? In my finals, if I'm the only finalist in our team and, and things like that. So I was, we were definitely wishing that all of us were in finals. It d- definitely did play a big, big emotional role for all of us. That's my opinion. Well, I think just how much stuff would have changed should I have passed through to semis and passed through to finals and you know, all of a sudden I have to make the choice of, of where do I shift and focus my, my energy. And I think, I don't know if you, you remember after I, I didn't get called into semis, I said to you, okay, I'll stop messing around and playing games over here. Like let's, let's focus in and let's do this thing. And I think, you know, in, in a way, again, it's a blessing that I didn't pass through because I could be kind of you know, just, just present with one thing and, and as much fun as I had with the Brewers Cup and, you know, that experience, I think happy with the result and how it all played out, but uh, more, more happy that I could participate further in your, your journey and your brother's journey. Yeah, I agree. That was a definitely sort of a concern because we had so, so many moments where we're, we're all having our att- attentions diverted to different things. And I think obviously we wanted everyone to be in finals and, and being in a, in a good position, but everything sort of played out as we wished it, it did, right? In terms of that. So it was really nice to, to not have to sort of like think about all this emotional weight that all of these other outcomes could bring. And fun, I think fun to reflect back on the complexity in which we made the road, right? The journey became quite, quite the challenging highway to navigate just with so many different irons in the fire and, you know, who's focused on what prep time and who's got what coffee and, okay, is that my roast or your roast? And, you know, just juggling all that stuff. I think Dave's multiplied and his gray hair is quite significantly <laughs> from the past few months. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's funny how we thought the team was like a very big team and then it quickly got very small because there were three people competing. So maybe w- walk us through the em- the emotions that you felt getting called into the finals. Was it just sheer relief or did you feel more pressure? What was going through your, your mind? I think it, it's just chaotic, right? It's, I, I think at the instant moment, I was very relieved. I was very happy and emotional to be in finals. Like it felt like we finally hit that hurdle that we've been chasing after for so many years. And and that happened, like that was amazing feeling for that first night. And then as soon as I got to bed, I was like, oh God, how am I going to do this finals now? <laughs> I just remember feeling so anxious and and really in this crazy pressure. Because I was like, okay, I'm in finals now. Like, and it went back all the way through like my first competition because I felt like this is my first finals. Like, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. That's everything that went through my head. Like I could completely not do well. And I was thinking even like, I have to really do well so I can showcase that I deserve to be in finals, right? Because last year's feeling was like, wait, maybe I didn't deserve to be in finals. So a lot of those feelings kept going and going and going. I don't think I told you guys this, but I remember in the finals day, 
we had a really long period before I went in. Like we did our dial session and we had a pretty good break, like almost two hours, two hours and a half before I went into to my competition time. And at that time, I, I told you guys like, oh, I'm going to go out and practice my speech. I remember trying at least like 10 or 12 times and not being able to finish my speech. I kept forgetting stuff. And it was and that never happened before. <laughs> I think that's how nervous I was. Uh, I kept forgetting it. I kept restarting it. I was like, oh God, this has never happened before. What am I going to do? And then I got this really nice voice message from Fabio Gurgel. I think I've told you guys this later, but Fabio Gurgel is like a multi-world jiu-jitsu champion. And we have a really nice partnership with them and his his brand in, in Brazil. And he's a guy who has been competing his entire life, like, crazy mental game, like super athlete. He's like in his fifties, but he looks like he's in his thirties. And he sent me a message saying like, uh, the mental game for finals is different. There's a whole nother buildup of pressure. Like it, it felt like he was reading my mind from far away. And he was like, there's a whole buildup of mental and anxiety and pressure. But something that you need to focus on is the time that you have trained and really trust the entire process that you went through to be and to deserve to be in those finals. So stop, like, don't worry about the fact that you're in finals. Just think about everything you practice and everything you train and just execute that. It was really nice hearing that message, like right before getting into finals. And then everything just started going smooth. Like I started being able to talk about my speech, do my speech very easily. I think that's the moment where I, I, I called you in, Dave, to listen to my my final runs of the speech before going in. And I just felt like I could truly enjoy that moment. And the finals day was like the finals presentation day was just crazy, crazy experience, right? I just felt like it was a mixture of being in autopilot, but also being fully in control of everything I was doing and how I was delivering everything and it's for me, it sort of felt like I was outside my body and watching everything go perfectly. And as soon as that finished, it felt I felt like amazing. I felt like it was the best time I've ever had on that stage. So it's it was incredible. I just got some tinglys here in <laughs> a lot of that playback. I think presentation you also put out, it's so interesting hearing you say you couldn't you couldn't get through your speech because the presentation you put out on finals day was probably just about word for word the speech it, it must have been 99% if not 100% accuracy of the speech and, and easily easily you peaked in the finals i think that's you know more yeah. more than fair to say i agree yeah no definitely finals was probably the best presentation i had in my entire barista competition career and especially coming from a semifinals where it was a bit crazy. Like I never went over time and at Worlds, I think. It was, that was the first semifinals that I went over time. My timer didn't work, so I couldn't keep track of my time. So, so many things went wrong and we sort of pushed through that. It felt really good to send it off without any regrets, right? I don't think I can ask for anything better than that. Yeah, there was a, the time you ran the speech in the back right beforehand. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, you just seem so light, focused, 
but also excited and, and happy to present. It was like a huge weight lifted off your shoulders to do that presentation. And I remember walking out of there and I was just like, oh, fuck, he's got it. Like, yeah, I, I get, you know, goosebumps just thinking about that moment because it was, uh, you know, three years of long, hard buildup that people see 15 minutes out front, but that's, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of hours practicing a speech. It's hundreds of hours of like drinking coffee, sourcing coffee. There's technical training, yeah, roasting, putting the pieces together, all that stuff. It's a huge, huge buildup. Yeah. And only very small amount of people understand that. And there's kind of something, you know, the people in the community knows what goes into that. And there's, uh, yeah, there's just, just that moment will, yeah, forever in my mind, like stick out of just, yeah, feeling that happiness as you, as you were going on stage. It's definitely unforgettable in that sense, because I don't think like, when do you get to experience that ever in your life? Right. I remember when you finish your set and in the finals, they have, you know, coaches and whoever you want to kind of come down and, and taste with you. And I'm the very end of the table in the the sort of best seat in the house, as we continued to call it. And the camera guy's right beside me. And I said to the camera guy, kind of jokingly, I said, what what do you think of that presentation? And the guy smiles at me and he says, easily the best one today. And in that <laughs> moment, I thought, he's got it. Warham's got it. If the camera guy's on board, we're all on board. <laughs> That's true. The guy probably watched everything, right? <laughs> he would have seen everything, yeah. So the top six gets announced, you all present, and then you all get brought back on stage to go through the countdown of six, fifth, fourth, third. There's two of you. What's going through your mind when there's two of you on stage? Yeah, I think for every finalist, I guess the announcements is probably the most gut-wrenching type experience, right? Cole, you went through this twice, so you, you know how crazy it is. It sort of starts like the countdown starts and you're like, uh, I don't want to be six, right? Because it feels like you're the last of, of the set. But then when we got down to the final two, it was insane. Like I, I just couldn't process the moment. I was, uh, I felt like I was out of my body because I, I was like, what is going on? And I felt like Donnie could have won because he's such an amazing competitor. And, and I was very happy already to be in the top three. I was like so happy to be top three. And I think in my head, I kept thinking like, oh, if I'm top top three, I'm so happy. And I, I can definitely like put off the, the gloves and, and not do this happily because it's such an amazing result. And then when we were on top two and I could potentially win, I was like, oh my God, like I can't believe this is happening, right? I, I just couldn't believe it. It was, uh, it was very emotional. Um, and then obviously after they announced Danny as second and, and me as a winner, I'll, I just, I just remember I just couldn't stop crying because it was so emotional. I, I thought deeply, I, maybe I thought that it, it couldn't happen. Like I could never win, right? I always had those thoughts as well. And being up there with so much support and so many people cheering and, and being announced number one, it's, it's crazy to think about. Like part of me still can't believe that happened right now. It's still even one month after. It takes time to process that. It's it's that kind of experience where you're always thinking to like, this is a one-time thing in my life and it's, it's never going to happen again. I thought we were starting training for next year's WBC just right away here. <laughs> no way. Maybe for you, Cole. <laughs> no, no, no. 
Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. Let's quash those rumors now. Cole's not going next year. <laughs> okay. I guess Cole's not going next year. <laughs> it's crazy to think about because you've it's like the unobtainable dream, right? And it's so hard. Like you think about the entire process. At, at least I think about my ex- entire experience. And you can think about a thousand things this could go wrong and a thousand reasons why this would not happen. And then suddenly everything hits at the same time in the right moment. And then you win and you're like, like, I can't believe this could happen, you know? And here you are, world barista champion. Yes, I guess here we are now. (laughs) (laughs) So your theme was around teamwork. Is there some team members you want to kind of shout out? Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, there's so many people involved in this, right? It's not what we mentioned in our speech and in our WBC routine. And and I say ours because it's really built by the team. It's not like there's one, there's the WBC title, but this is for all of us. And obviously I can't do like, I couldn't do this with the support without support of my family. Like my parents, they work in the business and they, they take care of a lot of things while I was focused on this. And so my family working together at Um Coffee, um, all our teams here, like making everything happen. Uh, it's not an easy road, not financially, not uh, logistically and everything. So it takes a lot of sacrifice to get here. Not only time, but money and, and, and everything. Obviously, I want to thank Marcia. Marcia has been throughout this journey from day one, like nonstop. And she has always dreamt of this result, but obviously she has believed in this result from day one. Like she, if she had doubts, I don't think she, she could have been here with us from the beginning all the way through. And then all all the people that we met in between, right? Like uh, Danilo has also been such a crucial part. He's, he's a guy who's been so long fighting for a result like this and, and to improve Brazilian baristas. And he's always so eager to help everyone. And that is truly commendable for for a representative of our country. And to be investing so much of his time and resources into pushing uh, our professionals here. So I think that is truly amazing. And obviously all the producers like that we have met, like Kai and all the team at Panama, uh, all the other producers that are connected with us and are always inspiring, right? Like we spent a lot of time with Kai and his lake house and, and, and really understanding everything that goes in his farm and his, his coffees. And we met through Cole and, and for so many other amazing coffee producers with different philosophies and so much passion. And I think those daily inspirations are, are, are amazing to have when you're competing and when you're trying to achieve this goal of WBC and, and represent the entire community. Obviously, like I have, although you don't want me to, but I have to thank both of you, right? Uh, I can't imagine this experience uh, being without you guys. I, I remember distinctly someone saying to me, I won't mention names, but someone telling me right after last year's WBC, telling me like, oh, maybe you should change coaches because your coaches are so caught up into doing their own thing and you just need different perspectives. And I remember telling him like, uh, no, I remember telling him like, I know the championship winning team is right here. And I don't think I, I need to change that. 
I guess that's because it's the connection that we have and truly believing in the talent that you guys have and all the hard work that you guys have been putting into this, right? You, it's over a decade that you're invested into this and it's, it's just become more like family now than anything else. And I really appreciate everything you guys have done. There's never a no for answer. You guys are always up for anything. I think this kind of connection is just really hard to find. Not even hard, I just think it's almost impossible to find. And that is the key to, to our success. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, thanks, man. Hey, look at that. You've made it. Thanks for listening to Buy the Drip. If you could please subscribe, rate, and give us a comment, that'd mean the world to me. Till next time.